Well, I've committed. I've stained the first words onto these bound pages. What was empty possibility is now destined to fulfill a purpose my pen has decided. The words are permanent records of consciousness transcending through thought and changing histories. What confession would be worth the space these words now inhabit? What variants of sounds and letters would justify the effort to write and read and remember them? What could I possibly write, other than that which occupies my heart? I am here in the Eastern Tower, on the stairs overlooking the city. The smoke of Anterior's hearths rises into the dusk. No one will come up here today. They are all too occupied with planning Mother's Birth celebration. For a quiet interval, I am allowed some time alone. Fasim is still missing. The stallion probably carried him to the reaches of our kingdom. It could be half a moon before he returns, hiking back to Anterior on foot. With Fasim missing, it has been difficult to plan our journey. Oman and I have been mapping our route, but we may never be allowed to leave the capital if Fasim returns injured. It was Oman's idea to explore the kingdom that will be ours. Of course, our parents would never let the three of us travel alone. They will believe escorts accompany us. With how often my brothers have been leaving the castle, the king and queen have grown used to allowing them to arrange accompaniment for their ventures. Oman said we should wander and see where the roads take us, but I told him that could be dangerous. We could end up anywhere, lost in the elven woods, in the cave of a giant, or trespassing in the Black Mountains. I told him I would plan the journey. He will see the white cane does have some useful things to teach us. It will all be for naught if Fasim doesn't return soon. I hear the trumpets calling. I must continue this later. For the three brothers, Sire, Prince of Arnith. Ignoring the summons to join the celebrations in the Great Hall, Sire decided to take advantage of the solitude the empty castle provided. The hallways and rooms were void of guards and servants. He made his way to the library and found it lit with the setting sun's final glow. The four walls of the library were lined floor to ceiling with thick volumes, most of which contained Arnith's history and economical logs. Sire approached the shelf near the windows, containing a dishevelled collection of scrolls. He rarely perused this section while the white cane tutored him. The scrolls and the seclusion of the library enticed Sire. He ran his fingers over the wrapped parchment. Pulling one free, he saw the parchment was dirtied with age and neglect. Sire sat on the windowsill and unrolled the scroll. He had the feeling that the last time the scroll had been opened was when it was written. The author was ambiguous, but the text was a plain-spoken account of a scout's patrol of the eastern border. Sire wondered why this account had been chronicled, until he removed the front parchment. The scout had visited the Dikarshan tribe before they had become aggressive with Arnith. Sire leaned forward, lifting the scroll to read it in the final ambience of sunlight. Sire's gaze flitted over tedious facts such as the typical rates of trade and the common wares the Dikarshans offered. He squinted, trying to read the scroll in the failing light. He turned the page to a large sketch of a road and trees, but he was unable to make out the inscription at the bottom. A column of moonlight emerged from the corner of the window and cast upon the picture, revealing a grisly depiction of a creature in the thick forest. A face materialised from the shaded branches, a gaping mouth and two solid eyes turned towards the prince. 
the mouth opened. Saya dropped the scroll and backed away. The inadequate light in here made suggestions to your eyes. He clenched his fists to keep his hands from shaking. He stared at the mess of parchment on the floor. Don't be foolish. There was nothing on the page. Saya knelt by the rolls of parchment and found the sketch. Examining it in the moonlight, Saya realized the trees and branches had evoked the impression of a creature. He read the writing at the bottom explaining that this was a common meeting place for the Dicartians. He checked the spot where the apparition had appeared. Though there was no trace of a creature, the feeling still lingered. The surrounding silence lost its comfort and intrigue. He replaced the scroll and turned for the door. Saya touched the handle feeling music vibrate through the door to the great hall. He hesitated, knowing noise would inundate him if he entered. He imagined the guests awaiting him inside. He wondered what the consequences would be if he ignored the summons to join the celebration and returned to his solitude. Oman will discuss our plans tonight. The weak feeling in his gut settled, and the lure of adventure doused his fear. He turned the handle and entered the hall. Sire held his breath as the torrent of greetings, music, and commotion flooded him. The visitors respectfully let him pass through the fervor. His calm demeanor showed through his actions, his hand he gave to others, and his bow he returned to a few. The commotion eased as he made his way to a less crowded corner near one of the large casements. He sat at a table and gazed across the immense room, crowded with nobles, soldiers, and the royal court. The guests gave him little heed, as if he were one of the noble stone statues that lined the perimeter of the hall. They were decorations too, he realized, necessary but overlooked guests. The music began to lure his attention with its melody and rhythm. The piping and strumming notes swayed his thoughts. He imagined the music was a warm aroma, a smoke filling and intoxicating the hall. His mind saw the fumes enticing subjects of his kingdom to cross legs, turn arms and change direction as the smoke shifted. A single amused breath shook Sire's form, proving his body had more life than the stone carvings. The dancers moved as if the fingers of the musicians strummed them flesh to flesh. The melody penetrated deeper into the prince's mind as he watched them, seeing the guests as actors in a grand charade. Sire imagined a tall man, growing sleek, long hair down his back. His brown hat became a jeweled crown, and his garment became intricate cloth. He greeted the interesting but barbaric humans around him. And a group of children, laughing with locked arms twirling in a circle, grew limbs that hardened, darkened into living branches, their hair full of leaves and flowers. Their voices were the playful wind through a meadow, the chirping of birds and the chatter of mice and squirrels. The laughter of a group of men at the other end of the hall became the deep laughter of mountain voices. They slammed their mugs heartily upon the table and their drinks splashed on their beards. Then a young man emerged through the smoke. Sire knew who he was, but imagined him as someone else. He became a knight clad in armor, with an elaborate helm and a sword at his waist. The figure moved closer, his armor glinting link by link in the glowing light. The crowd parted as if he were the ghost of one of Arnith's fallen kings. Fasim! Sire cried, shaking the illusion from his sight. 
Fasim smiled, joining Sire at the table. How did you make it back so quickly? I anticipated it would take you another half-moon to walk back to the castle. Sire examined Fasim's neatly drawn black hair, his clean clothing, and I see you had time to change. I didn't walk, Fasim responded with laughter. Hitch a ride with the travelling merchant, was asked from behind him. Oman approached the table and placed his hand on Fasim's shoulder. No, the middle brother answered. You don't appear to be injured. How in the skies did you get back to Anteria? Oman asked. The stallion, of course, was his response. Come, Oman said. This is a story mother and father will want to hear. Fasim stood before the court, the king and queen seated upon the throne. He paced before them, commanding the attention of the multitude. The stallion and I struggled. He galloped relentlessly deeper into the woods. I knew he would eventually become tired, but I swear I've never seen a horse ride so long without rest. He bucked and reared to drop me, but I held fast, wrapping the ropes around my arms. We galloped for so long, his pace never slackening, until the forest was a whirlwind of trees. As the night fell upon us, I felt myself slipping. The strain of the ride wore on me, though my mind was refusing to let the beast win. Then a thought occurred to me. The stallion was afraid, though he had no reason to fear men. He had lived most of his life without the company of man or horse. He was afraid because he did not understand what had happened to him. I knew he could remember his purpose. Together, we would face his fear. The night air renewed me. I leaned forward and took fistfuls of mane in my hands. Balancing myself on his middle, I pressed my heels on his abdomen. I called out to him, urging him onward. He snorted but started to obey me. We galloped through the night. I embraced his freedom, his sheer strength. I began to lean, not as a command, but as a suggestion. The stallion began to turn. I spoke to him, telling him of great purebreds of Anteria, of a horse's duty to its master, of the king's horse and his bloodline. My being was stripped away by the cold night wind. The stallion could not rid himself of me, so he accepted me. We became one, racing through the dark forest lit only by the star's glow. I knew then he trusted me, and I allowed him to slow. He soon collapsed, with me still atop him. We landed in the brush. With my remaining strength, I pulled myself out from under him, but fell into darkness before I could free my arms from the ropes. When we woke, the stallion was calm. I untied the ropes from round his neck, and he rose. I told him he was free that if he wanted to return to the forest, he may. He came forward and nudged my hand. He allowed me to remount, and he carried me south until we found a merchant's road. I followed it to Anteria. What did you do with him? the queen asked. He's in the stables, for now, Fasim answered. Sire, listening from the edge of the crowd, bowed his head. Cheers and congratulations were offered for Fasim, and the musicians resumed their interlude. He retreated to avoid the dancers spreading across the hall.